You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. What a blessing it is to look out and see all of you folks. You know, what a blessing it is to be able to be with you. And before I even get started this morning into what we're going to be talking about, uh, let me just share a very heartfelt thanks to each of you. Uh, I recognize that I've not been able to meet all of you, and uh, I seriously doubt that I'll be able to before all is said and done. I certainly will not remember names, but what I do know for certain is this. During the time that we've been here thus far, uh, my wife Julie, myself, my two boys, Ezra and Josiah, we have been greeted so warmly and so kindly. Thank you for that. Thank you for loving on us and caring for us. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for giving us the privilege to come in and immerse ourselves within this body of believers. What a blessing it's been. But we're here to get down to business this morning, right? And we're going to try that one more time. We're here to get down to business this morning, right? Amen. Go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Philippians. And uh, because I've been around for a few weeks, I know that there's men that are walking down the aisles ready to give you one of these books, and women, I should say, ready to give you one of these books, a Bible. And so if you need one, please grab one, uh, stick your hand up and let them know that you could use one this morning. And if you don't have one at home, take it home with you. Uh, What a tremendous blessing that would be for us to be able to offer a gift like that to you. So Philippians chapter 3, go ahead and make your way over there. And as you're turning there, let me just begin us this morning with a question, pretty simple question. Question is this, have you ever missed something important? Yeah. Have you missed something important? I think we've all been there, likely. It could have been an appointment, maybe a job interview. I've got stories to tell about that. I'll leave them alone this morning. Not a good day. Birthdays, anniversaries, men, don't raise your hand. Not a good thing to miss. Now, you know, in the busyness of life sometimes, it's easy to lose track of the things that are most important. And I've been reflecting on this here recently, and one of the things that has been astonishing to me is just to reflect upon how easy it is to go from Easter Sunday, and by the way, last week was Easter, in case you didn't realize that, but to go from Easter Sunday to this Sunday, and how much we miss of the power of what Christ has actually accomplished for us. And so even in our family, we try our best to keep that the main thing. You know, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the resurrection, the celebration of what Christ has accomplished. But is it just me or is it easy to fill your mind full of all of these wonderful, tremendous truths, but so difficult to have those truths move from here to here and appropriate them in, in your lives? Maybe it is just me, but I don't think so. I think this is a struggle and a challenge that we all face. It's, it's so easy to just think about what is true of Christ and yet not recognize that the things that are true of Christ need to be worked out in our own lives. And so this morning, what I'm going to do, attempt to do, is not preach another Easter message. That is not my intent. In fact, truth be known, on Good Friday, Brett preached a tremendous message calling for us to Remember the price that was paid by Jesus Christ. To remember that he gave us life, that you and I might be free from the penalty of sin. 
It was just last Sunday that Pastor Darrell stood before all of us and he preached a message calling for us to remember and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so you might ask, what am I going to do today? Well, I'm going to attempt to do this this morning. My hope is to call each of you to reflect upon the consequences of those great biblical truths. Because I happen to believe that the gospel is consequential. I happen to believe that it's not just a good thing to believe, but it's a tremendous thing to appropriate. And if that's not happening in your life, and if it's not happening in my life, we are missing the power of the resurrection. We are missing the power of what it means to be in Christ. That name above all names is more than a name this morning, folks. It is more than a name. He is a person who is alive and who can fill your life. And so this morning, we're going to focus on this. And if you were looking for the takeaway this morning, what is it that I want to leave you with? There's one singular idea that I want to leave you with this morning. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. And it's simply this, that if Christ is not your most passionate pursuit in this life, then your affections are misplaced and your hope is misdirected. Now that's not necessarily a greatly profound statement, but it is so vitally important. And so I ask you this morning, what is your most passionate pursuit in life? Believer and unbeliever alike, because I do not presume that every person listening to the sound of my voice this morning knows the Lord in a personal, genuine way. And so whether you're here this morning and you know that you stand right with God, or whether you're here this morning because you're just checking this thing out, understand what I'm saying this morning. If Jesus is not your most passionate pursuit, the affections of your heart are going the wrong direction, and your hope is greatly misdirected. And so how do we do this? Well, turn with me again in your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 3. Follow along with me as we read from verse 1 down through 11. Finally, my brothers, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs and look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. And we glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But I want you to listen to this. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of whom? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but to that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Folks, there's a lot more to the resurrection 
than simply a truth to be believed in. It is a reality to be appropriated in your life and in my life. What the Apostle Paul does here is this. In his effort, it seems to help us understand that Jesus needs to be our most passionate pursuit. We look at this passage, these 11 verses, and I think that it breaks into at least two broad sections. And we're going to focus on these two sections. The first is in verses 1 through 7. And so if you're looking at the first seven verses, you might say, well, well, what does that teach me? Well, it teaches us that when Jesus is our pursuit, that the lifeless pursuits of yesterday are greatly diminished. Now, I should mention that the reason I say yesterday is because what Paul is doing here is he is reflecting back on the past. If you could see Paul, if you were standing before him, he lays out his resume and he says, look, this is what I used to live for. This used to be what I was passionate over. This is where my hope used to be based, but this has changed. And so he takes us to the past and he says, look, the lifeless pursuits of yesterday grow strangely dim when Jesus is your pursuit. And the way he does this is in the first three verses there, he reminds us that the pursuit of Christ means something. It has consequential realities for your life and mine. It means that we must refuse to trust in those people who would detract from Christ. So notice how this works out. The very first verse here, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I love this because those of us who have the privilege and responsibility to proclaim the word of God, we read this and we might chuckle a little bit because the fact of the matter is the apostle Paul is only halfway through the letter. He's not done. When he says finally, it's just a joke. Not really. What he says here is finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And I love the way he starts off in this section. Essentially, what this means is you all keep rejoicing in the Lord, or better yet, y'all keep on rejoicing now, you hear? See, I can do that. I'm from South Carolina and Virginia. That's possible. Maybe not so much you. But he says, y'all keep on rejoicing. Why does he do this? It's an astonishing reality because when the Apostle Paul's writing this letter, he's writing it from a Roman prison. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord and keep rejoicing. Isn't it astonishing that when Jesus Christ captivates your heart and arrests your attention, that no matter the circumstances you find yourself in, in this life, which is sometimes dark and sometimes difficult, sometimes dreary, isn't it amazing that in the most difficult of circumstances, you have access to joy? What an amazing reality this is, church. In fact, when I describe joy to folks, I like to explain it in this way. Joy is the flag that is flying from the castle of a person's heart who has a king in residence. And folks, that is what joy is. Joy is not based upon circumstantial matters. Joy is based upon your and my position in Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, he says, look, He says, keep rejoicing. And he says this, he says, to write the same thing again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. This is basically Paul saying, look, this is is not troublesome to me. This is not burdensome to me. Throughout the entirety of the book of Philippians, you'll find this theme of joy. It rattles over and over and over off the pages. It's because Paul understood that joy is found in Christ. And he says, if you can grasp this, this is a safeguard, a protection for you. It protects you from despondency. It protects you from depression. It protects you from the things that would drag you down. 
And don't misunderstand, I am not Joel Osteen. There's a laugh that's supposed to come after that. (laughs) I am not here to tell you this morning that um, you can have your best life right now. Just think positively. No, I'm telling you this morning that when Jesus Christ is your most passionate pursuit in life, that everything changes. Everything. He says then in verse 2, he says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. You see, immediately after calling his readers to rejoice in the Lord, he now moves us towards a warning about those things that we are sometimes apt to have confidence in. Now to begin with, what he teaches us here is this, is that you got to be careful about placing your trust in people, in individuals that detract from Christ. You show me someone who detracts from Christ, and I'll show you someone who is misleading you. You show me someone who detracts from Christ, and I'll show you someone whom you need to turn from. And so what he does here is this, is he basically gives us three characteristics of Jesus' detractors. And here's what I want to instruct you to do this morning. On the one hand, I want you to ask yourself, okay, if I'm looking for a Jesus detractor, if I want to be aware of that, if I want to be on my guard, what do they look like? Well, this is what they look like, but the second thing that I want you to do is consider this. In the mirror of your own life, I want you to ask yourself, does this characterize me? And if it does, I urge you to deal with that before it's too late. The first characteristic that he lays out here in verses 1 and 2 is that this kind of individual... In their character, they detract from Jesus. And we get this from the phrase dogs. Essentially what Paul has done is he's taken the gloves off. And he's, he, he's, he's looked at these individuals and he's, he said, listen, let me tell you who these folks are. Uh, these folks are, in, in the scripture, you'll see them mentioned several times, they're the ones whom we refer to as the Judaizers. Now let me give you a little insight about a Judaizer. A Judaizer is not going to come to you and say, hey, it's not necessary to trust in Jesus. You know, those we can recognize very easily, can't we? No, a Judaizer does this. They say, you can trust in Jesus and you need to, but there's a few other things that you need to add in there. Jesus plus always equals nothing. And folks, let me explain to you this morning that I'm not sure where you are in your life this morning, but I can assure you of one thing, that if you're trusting in Jesus plus something else so that you might stand before God righteous, you're going to face a great loss someday. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. It's either all Jesus or it is nothing. And so the Judaizers, they come into the scene and they, they, they peddle this message of it's Jesus plus, and specifically they peddle the message of Jesus plus circumcision. They essentially wanted uh, the, the, the Gentile believers to become Jews. And so the Apostle Paul, both in the book of Galatians and here and elsewhere, he says, no, that's not the message of the gospel. And so he lays out these three descriptive terms. He first calls them dogs. And he reminds us that a Jesus detractor is someone who detracts from Jesus in their character, first of all. Because folks, understand this this morning. A dog during the time that the Apostle Paul is writing this was not a nice, cute little pet. You didn't put a collar around it and walk it around and cuddle with it and pet it and feed it nice food. No, a dog was nasty. 
A dog was looked upon in such a way that it was shunned. It was unclean. It was dangerous. And this is the way that the Apostle Paul is describing this type of a person. They detract from Jesus in their character. They are altogether nasty, unclean, dangerous. He goes on to remind us then through the phrase evildoers that they also detract from Jesus in their conduct. You see, whatever is on the inside here, this is the fountain. And from the fountain flows the streams from your hands and from your mouth and from your feet. And a Jesus detractor will never be hidden for long because eventually the character that is on the inside comes on the outside. They're evildoers. And lastly, a Jesus detractor is one who detracts from Jesus in their claims. And the claim in this particular case is the claim that you need to be circumcised in order to be right before God. And so this morning you might say, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. I like the next thing that the Apostle Paul does, though. He says in verse 3, he says, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Do you see how he has uh, created something of a comparison for you and I this morning? He's shown you the Jesus detractors, and now he's showing us the characteristics of those who are Jesus' lovers. We need to pay close attention to this. Because what happens is this. You see glimpses throughout the Old Testament of the prophets who mourned over the fact that spiritual circumcision of the heart was so badly needed. The Judaizers would tell you, listen, all you need is to go through this religious ritual. But throughout the Bible, there is a testimony. There is a witness that says this. It has always been spiritual circumcision. It has always been a work in the heart and not simply a work of the hands that you must be concerned with. And so we read from the prophet Jeremiah in 925. We read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. We read again from the book of Romans, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so we find three characteristics of one who loves Jesus. The first is this. He says, we are those who worship by the Spirit of God. And so a characteristic of a Jesus lover. And ask yourself this morning, does this characterize me? Is that they worship God in such a way that it is the occupation of their lives. Now church, listen to me this morning. I shared with the earlier group in the first service that Julie and I have been so tremendously blessed to be here with you. The time of worship, of singing praises to the Lord, has been so refreshing to us. It is amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful experience to be amongst other believers, lifting holy hands before the Lord and shouting praises for God. You just have to know where we come from to understand how much that has meant for us. But I want to level with you this morning. If your measure of worship is simply what you do on Sunday morning, you have greatly missed what it means to be one whose occupation is the worship of God. God calls for our lives to be an outpouring of worship every single hour of every single day. And I'm not sure about you, but I can tell you this morning by means of confession that I fell at that miserably. But I can also tell you this, that when I look in the mirror of my life by God's grace, I see a desire, a hunger in my heart to worship God with everything. A second characteristic of one who loves Jesus is that their boast, 
is going to be in Christ. That is going to be the message of their mouth. And so listen to me this morning, folks. When you think about boasting, make sure you always remember when you're boasting that your boast is in Christ Jesus. If you want to boast about your church, and please do so, but never forget what you see around here and what you experience in here and what you have grown to love amongst this group of individuals is something that is only possible because of Christ. And so you give him the boast. And when you want to boast in your pastor who preaches the word week in and week out without apology, make sure when you're boasting about him that you remember it's only because of Christ that he can do that. Make sure that the message of your mouth is one of boasting in Christ. The Apostle Paul says we glory in Christ Jesus. And make sure your trust is in Christ alone for only he can be the basis of your hope. He says, we put our confidence not in the flesh. And so in short, folks, there are certain characteristics that accompany those of the true circumcision, a genuine believer. And so when the spiritually dark and the lifeless, sinful flesh of the heart is cut away at salvation, folks, listen, it has consequences. You cannot be an inconspicuous Christian. I'm going to say that again because it needs to be heard in this day and age. You cannot be an inconspicuous Christian. You cannot be a Christian who says, oh yes, I'm a Christian in name only. But it has nothing to do with the way that I live. It has nothing to do with the way that I speak. It has nothing to do with what I do. That is not what the scripture teaches. And if you can't see these characteristics in your life, I am urging you this morning. Make sure you deal with that. What Paul now does is this. He moves from helping us understand that not only does the pursuit of Christ mean that we can no longer trust in those people who would detract from him, but also we we can no longer trust in those practices that detract from him. So let me again level with you. Listen, if you want Jesus Christ as your most passionate pursuit in life, there's a few things that we have to get down this morning. Number one, you cannot look like one who detracts from Jesus, and you can't follow those who do. Number two, when you're evaluating the practices of your life, you cannot engage in practices that subtract from him, that take away from him, that minimize him. That is not of the Lord. And so what the Apostle Paul does here is so vitally important. In verse 4, he says, Though I myself might have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So I want to share a few things with you this morning. Paul had come to the place where he says in verse 7 that whatever were gains to him, he now considers lost for the sake of Christ. And my question to each of you this morning is the same question that the Lord has been asking me through the study of his word. Can you say the same thing? Can you look at your life and can you identify a time in which you were living for other things? You were trusting in other things. Perhaps you were trusting in your morality. If you can just be good enough, you can, you can outweigh that balance. Your good stuff is heavier than your bad stuff and all is going to be good, you think. Perhaps there was a time when you were trusting in your religion. Maybe maybe you get into philosophy and you just think that if you can understand all the things of this life, that that's going to be the ticket. Maybe it's just good intentions. If I just uh, think about good things and I'm just a good person. Maybe you're trusting in a prayer that you said when you were five years old. You can't remember it. 
You see nothing in your life that looks like Jesus Christ, but hey, you said a prayer when you were five, when you were six, when you were eight, when you were 12, when you were 20. Folks, understand something this morning. There are practices that if you want Jesus Christ to be your most passionate pursuit, there are practices that you must no longer rely upon as the basis of your hope. Not the least of which is that you can no longer trust in your inherited privileges. You see, there's, there's basically a breakdown here that the Apostle Paul engages in. He's going, to, he's going to highlight two aspects of this idea that I've laid out for you. The first thing is this. There's four things that you and I will have a propensity to rely upon. And they are not so much practices that you engage in voluntarily as much as they are inherited privileges that come with a package of being born. And then when he wraps this up, the last three things are things that you and I do. And so look at the first inherited privilege. In verse 5 he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. The apostle Paul was an eight-dayer. He wasn't like others. He was an eight-dayer. And that, that means simply this. Just like every good Jewish boy, he was circumcised eight days after birth. And so the apostle Paul used to have that hanging out in his trophy shelf. That's what he used to rely upon. It's the very thing that he used to think was so vitally important. And admittedly, you and I may not be caught up into the religious ritual of circumcision, but what about other religious rituals? Some of which you had no choice in. I happen to know that not only here in Canada, but also in the States, because I've served in ministry for many years. There's a lot of people that rely upon the religious ritual of baptism, be that infant baptism or adult baptism, as though that somehow is going to cleanse you from sin. But that is not the message of Scripture. Some people, it's not baptism so much, but maybe it's a, maybe it's a service in which you had a little baby. Maybe it was your son or your daughter, or maybe you were the son or daughter who were dedicated before a church body like this. And you've held on to that. Oh, but I was dedicated when I was a baby. And that does nothing to take care of your sin problem. Folks, I'm not sure what it is for you, perhaps. But what I know for certain is you cannot rely upon your religious rituals in order to find right standing before God. There is only one to whom you can look. And his name is Jesus Christ. Maybe it's not religious rituals. Maybe it's privileged race. You see, the Apostle Paul says next that he is of the people of Israel. It's another way of saying that he was of the race of Israel. The Apostle Paul could trace his ancestry all the way back to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And folks understand that even with that being said, as he's looking back at that part of his resume, he says, you know what, I look at that and that's all well and good, but I consider it lost now. It does nothing to give me right standing before God. And I want you to hear me this morning, church. I dare say that nobody here has the same kind of ancestral lineage that the Apostle Paul had. But the principle that is hidden here is equally as true for you and I. There is no such thing as a privileged race. It doesn't matter this morning if you're black or if you're white or if you're yellow, or green, or red, or purple, listen folks, go through the whole list. It doesn't matter what color you are, or what your race is, there is no single race that is able to bypass God's plan of redemption. We all go the same way. If you don't come to Christ, then you don't go. It's either all Jesus, or it is nothing. 
It doesn't matter what your family background is or how you were raised or where you were born. Folks, understand me this morning. This is so vitally important. Nobody gets a pass. It's Jesus or it's nothing. But maybe it's not a privileged race that you get hung up on. Maybe it's another. Maybe it's a prized rank in life. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. You just have to understand that the tribe of Benjamin is the very tribe that when when the promised land was divided amongst the 12 tribes, Jerusalem, the great holy city, it was in Benjamin's territory. Not only that, it's further than that. When the kingdom split and Judah and Benjamin remained loyal to the Davidic dynasty, there would be a sense of pride that would well up within the person. The Apostle Paul used to have that trophy on a shelf of the tribe of Benjamin. What does this mean for you and for me? He had a prized rank. You see, the fact of the matter is, perhaps you're here today, and by the graciousness of God, maybe you were born into circumstances that made it rather easy to find yourself in an exalted rank in life even today. What might that look like? I don't know. But folks, what I can tell you is this, no matter the heights that your current rank might afford you in this life, if you fail to humble yourself as a child before Christ, then you fail. No matter where you are, no matter what your status is in this life, no matter what kind of privileges you inherited from birth, if you don't humble yourself as a child before Christ, you fail. And you will spend an eternity away from God if you die in that failure. You cannot trust in your inherited privileges. You can't trust in your family roots. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Both parents spoke Hebrew. He retained the family traditions and the family's ways. Sure, he was fluent in the Greek language, but he held on to those deep roots from his family. And yet he could not rely upon his family roots, folks. He couldn't place his confidence there if he hoped to be right with God. You can't place your hope there. Praise God that some of you this morning, you were raised in a Christian home. I didn't didn't get that privilege. I wasn't afforded that privilege It was only by the grace of God that I was delivered at the age of 15 from an absolute life of hopelessness. But even if you're blessed with that privilege, I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. That does nothing to give you right standing with God. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You don't somehow inherit the personal faith of your mom and dad because you were born in a Christian home. Yes, the evidence is going to be there. Yes, prayerfully the Bible is going to be center stage. Yes, prayerfully God is going to use those parents to lead you to the Lord. But you do not inherit right standing with God. You don't inherit right standing with God in that circumstance any more than living in a garage is going to make you a car. It's true, folks. And I want you to hear it this morning. He goes on to now help us understand it's not just personal privileges that you inherit, but it's personal accomplishments. Look at what he says next. He says, as to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. Listen to me this morning, church. Your dutiful religion does nothing. It is useless in terms of getting you right standing before God. Unlike the Sadducees, whose doctrine was just absolutely lousy. Uh, those, Those guys didn't even believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees were on top of things. They embraced the scripture so much so they even thought that would be a good idea to add to the scripture. And so they had rule after rule after rule and they would add to the scripture and they focused so intently on being people of the law. This was the Apostle Paul trained at the very feet of Gamaliel 
one of the greatest and most astounding teachers of the law in that day and time. And yet what he does is this. I want you to see the picture this morning. He's looking at his past. He's looking at the resume that used to be his trophy case. He's seeing the dutiful religion that he was so involved in. And this is his conclusion. He says, do you see that? He said, that is a loss. It does nothing. And it does nothing for you and me. It does not give you right standing before God. If you want to understand this in its greatest measure, it takes simply focusing on Jesus' own estimation of the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he calls these guys liars. He calls them blind guides. He calls them fools. He calls them whitewashed tombs. That was Jesus' assessment of the Pharisees. And I wonder sometimes, what is Jesus' assessment of us, of me? If dutiful religion is what you're trusting in, folks, you're going to face great, great failure. It's either all Jesus or it's nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. What about your misdirected zeal? He says in verse 6, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Very quickly moving through these last two. I just want to make this simple point. The Apostle Paul was a passionate man, and he was equally sincere. He was passionately sincere about being a Pharisee, so much so that he even persecuted the church in that day and time. And listen, let's just understand this truth this morning. We are all passionate about something. But if Jesus Christ is not your most passionate pursuit in life, your affections are misplaced. My affections are misplaced. My hope is misdirected. The Apostle Paul was passionate, but you and I both know that the reality is this. It is possible to be passionately sincere and be sincerely wrong. And so are you wrong today? Are you basing your hope on something that is a faulty Savior? It's not just this. What about our inaccurate perception that we're so prone to? He says, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Bottom line is this. The Apostle Paul at one point in time, he had what you and I sometimes have. We don't tell people about it. We don't advertise it. But it is seen and it is heard and it is experienced. It is a mirror of your own making. And he kept that mirror of his own making. And the problem with a mirror of your own making is that it never tells you the truth. This is what it does. It takes your goodness and it exaggerates it. And it takes your badness and it all but eliminates it. And so he saw himself at that day and time as blameless. But yet he realized at a point in time that his hands we're covered in blood. You cannot trust in your inaccurate perception. So what's the takeaway here? If Jesus is to be our most passionate pursuit in life, if that's to be a reality, we like Paul, we've got to make trusting in people and trusting in practices that detract from him, we have to make that something of the past. And if you don't, you'll lose now, years ago, before I was the father of two boys, before I was the husband of one wife, before I was the driver of a single minivan, I started attending college. I went to a little school in Lynchburg, Virginia. We have any alumni here of Liberty University or parents of students that go there? Okay, a few more than in the first service. 
And so attending there, I had the benefit of remembering the way that my mom used to take care of me. One of the things that she prided herself in was always making sure my shirts and my pants were starched and ironed. And so as you might imagine, as I head off to college, not only did I take all of my belongings, but I made sure to take my ironing board, my iron, and my starch. I mean, my, my roommates, they thought I was a wacko. You just don't do that when you go to college. Note to self, by the way. And so here I am, I'm in college, and I'm trying to get accustomed to this, and, and every evening I'd be ironing my shirts and starching them, not necessarily in that order, mind, mind you. And so ironing my shirts, starching my shirts, making sure everything looked nice. Uh, the problem was this, even though I understood the value of a starched and ironed shirt, I somehow missed the value of washing those same shirts more than once every two weeks. Now that's, in particular, a really significant problem when you had a cafeteria uh, much like the one that was at Liberty University at that time. I can't speak to it these days, but it was nasty. And so you'd come back to your room and, and the shirts would literally stand, not because of the starch, but because of the stink. And folks, listen, we laugh at that and that's funny and it is funny, but let me tell you what isn't funny. It isn't funny whenever we look at ourselves in a mirror of God's word and we realize that that is exactly who we are starched and ironed, but not washed. You see, you can't trust in your inherited privileges or your personal accomplishments to find right standing before God. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. Is he your most passionate pursuit? Are you trusting in him? Have you placed your confidence in him? We make a quick transition here this morning and I want to point out to you also this, that when you look at Paul's personal assessment of this as you come to verse 7, this is what he states. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I'm going to say that last phrase again, for the sake of Christ. The word that he uses here, count, is a mathematical term. It means to engage in an intellectual process, to think, to consider, to regard. The word loss, it's only found in two other places in the New Testament, and it's a business term that means forfeit. And so this is what he says. He says, the time came when I looked at all of those things, and I thought about it. I considered it. I calculated it, and I said, that is forfeit. Furthermore, what he said was, that's rubbish. Now, if you and I were from the UK, maybe we would have that resonate with us a bit more. But the fact of the matter is, when he says that it's rubbish, what he essentially means is this, it is nothing but a pile of manure. That's in the Greek language. He says, it's nothing but a pile of manure. And what he teaches us in verses 8 through 11 is this, is that when Jesus is our pursuit, the vain pursuits of today are greatly devalued. I don't have time to unpack all of this, and so what I am going to do is this. I want to point out just a few things that are here in these last few verses that if we grab a hold of them, it'll make a tremendous difference in our lives. To begin with, in verse 9, he teaches us that you can count all things lost because only through Christ can you be delivered from the penalty of sin. You see, notice what he says here. He says, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Folks, understand something. The Apostle Paul is dealing here with justification. Yeah, I know, a big fancy word, but here's what it means. It means right standing before God, no longer having to face the penalty of sin. And this is what he's teaching. He's saying, look, 
He says, the reason I can count all that stuff loss, the reason I can see it as a pile of rubbish is because when I look to Jesus, when I look to the, to the, to the Son of God, when I see the sacrifice that he made, when I see the life that he lived, I see beauty, I see glory, I see forgiveness, I see the penalty of sin no longer upon my shoulders. That is something worth living for. But it's not just this. Notice what he does next. He says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. It's not just that you can count all things lost because it's through Jesus that you can be delivered from the penalty of sin. It's also through Christ that you can be delivered from the power of sin. And that is sanctification. And I want you to hear me this morning. I want you to hear what Paul says. He wasn't satisfied with resting in his righteousness. He wasn't basking in the knowledge that someday he was going to gain entrance into heaven. He wanted more. He wanted more of Christ. He knew him, but he wanted to know him more. What about you this morning? You might say, oh yeah, I want to sign up for that. I want to know more about Jesus. No, you missed it. I didn't say more about Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know him. So much so that he says, the power of his resurrection, I want that to be a reality. Remember how I started this morning. It's one thing to believe in a truth, but that if that truth is not appropriated in your life, you're missing something. And so if you don't see the power of the resurrection imminent in your life, if you don't see it uh, just, just present in your life, if you don't see victory over sin, you must ask yourself, is Jesus my most passionate pursuit? And so lastly, he says this in verse 11. He says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, he's taught us here that we can not only trust in Jesus and look to Jesus because he delivers from the penalty of sin and also because he delivers from the power of sin. But here, and praise God this morning, church, there's a future that awaits the believer and that is deliverance from the presence of sin. He states here, that he desires, that he's looking forward to, that he pursues Christ alone so that he may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And it's this simple, folks. The resurrected Christ dazzled him. It had captivated his attention and arrested his heart. He was never the same. Is Jesus Christ your most passionate pursuit? Before such a holy longing can be a reality, we have to see this stuff as rubbish. And we have to see him as glorious. And so I'll leave you this morning with the words of C.S. Lewis, who said it is he himself who is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn. He is the food that our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. And in the words of a great missionary, Jim Elliot, and in Jim Elliot's words, in his prayer, this is what he said, and I'm wondering if this is your prayer this morning. He said, oh God. He said, I pray thee to light these idle sticks of my life 
that I may burn for thee, consume my life, my God, for it is yours. I seek not a long life, but a full one, just like yours, Lord Jesus. If Jesus Christ is not your most passionate pursuit in life, your affections are misplaced and your hope is misdirected. But the good news is that he's right there. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we stand in awe of your glory. Lord, my feeble mouth could never do justice to this word. I could never display in spoken words the greatness of who you are and who your son is. Oh, but Lord, I pray that you would take this word that is sharper than any two-edged sword and that you would penetrate the heart of every single person that is here And Father, those who do not know you, Lord, they would find themselves ready and anxious to run to you. Mm. And those of us who know you, we might find in ourselves a strange, gnawing desire to want to know you more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.